0: into the sermon. Periodically, a genuinely uplifting video will show up online that gives us all a break from the boredom and bad news that is so common to our human experience. You guys have seen these videos. Sometimes it will be a video of a Great Dane making friends with a kitten or it'll be a video of a local fire department saving a golden retriever that has fallen through the ice. We love animals videos, of course. One I saw a few weeks back. I don't know where this guy was. I don't know if he was living on some fjord in Norway or if he was living on a river, but it was an aerial view and you could see this huge ice flow coming down towards this guy's dock. And so he gets in his little rowboat, he rows out to this huge piece of ice, and over a period of probably like 30 minutes, he uses his rowboat to push this huge ice flow just far enough away from his dock that it passed on without damaging the dock. One particularly common trope of uplifting video that seems to go viral every few months is the soldier that has been away on active duty, surprising their child at a sporting event or an assembly. Have you guys seen these videos? Yeah, they're, they're pretty, pretty common. And normally what happens is the organizers of these videos will have the crowd and they'll get the kid whose parent has been serving as a soldier and the kid is facing the crowd and the organizer of the video is talking to the kid. And then the parent, the soldier that has been away, will come up behind the child. When the child turns to see their parent, they are so surprised, they don't really know how to respond. If the video is zoomed in enough, you can see them trying to make sense of what is happening. You can see the shock confusion, joy, and disbelief flash across their face. In today's verses, we get to experience a version of the soldier surprise video that happened 2,000 years ago. In the first century, this moment went viral. Nobody had a smartphone handy, but Luke made sure to record it in the pages of the gospel that bears his name so that we could experience it for ourselves. Please turn with me to Luke chapter 24. We will pick up in verse 36 and read through verse 43. That's Luke 24, verses 36 through 43. It's page 832 if you are using the Pew Bible. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. One of the things I appreciate most about Scripture is how it does not present an idealized version of history. The people in these verses respond in a very human way. We get to see their surprise when Jesus arrives in their midst, followed by their confusion. There's a lot of processing going on in these seven short verses, We are still processing the implications of these verses for our own lives 20 centuries later. The fact and the form of the risen Jesus changes the way any who experience it see the world. And the way they see themselves. The implications of the resurrection are astounding. The disciples' initial response to Jesus appearing among them leaves a bit to be desired. They were startled and frightened. All of this is still happening on the day of Easter. We've been looking at this day for the past month plus of sermons. Let's run down the timeline for what the day has been to this point. First thing in the morning, the women that went to the tomb with spices found it empty. Angelic messengers asked them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. When these women report their findings to the apostles, Peter sprints to the tomb. Once there, he confirms that it is empty. He went home marveling at what had happened. Two men in the small group that know what the women have claimed and what Peter found decide to skip town and head for Emmaus. On the road, they are joined by the risen Jesus. Once those guys figure out Jesus has been talking with them, they run back to Jerusalem to report to the group. It is as the followers of Jesus are discussing What the two guys who interacted with Jesus on the road to Emmaus have shared, that Jesus himself shows up in their midst. They are again surprised. Their surprise is not positive. They are completely weirded out. Jesus tried to minimize their shock. The first thing he said to them was, Peace to you, have you ever been in a situation where you're trying not to scare someone, but you know no matter what you do, it will scare them? Like you're already in a room and maybe it's kind of dark and somebody walks in you're like, no matter how I handle this, they're gonna be terrified, right? Like if I, if I whisper, hey, I'm right behind you, that's not gonna go well, right? Or if you say it loudly, they will jump out of their skin. If I, this is probably the worst option, the tapping them on the shoulder. Has anybody ever tried the tapping them on the shoulder option? Um, you just hope that if you tap them on the shoulder that they are not holding a knife because that's not going to end well. That is the situation Jesus is coming into. He does his best to calm this group down while still making them aware of his presence. He loudly proclaims peace to you. Jesus still startles and frightens this group of his followers. If you had taken a straw poll of the room just prior to Jesus showing up, the majority of the room would have said, would have probably said they thought there was at least a chance Jesus was risen. They had multiple reports from people they trusted Jesus was alive. How many times will they be surprised in the same way? The fact is, an intellectual awareness is not the same thing as a firsthand experience. Intellectual beliefs can remain mostly theoretical. This group of disciples is talking about what has happened. No doubt, they are theorizing about what it all means. If Jesus hadn't shown up, they probably would have just kept on talking endlessly. Being a Christian is more than just being intellectually aware. A lot of churches become places that look very similar to what was happening with these disciples. A bunch of people sitting around having intellectual, hypothetical conversations about Jesus. Now, I enjoy this type of conversation as much as the next guy, probably more than most. It is not wrong to share thoughts on who Jesus is and what the resurrection means. We shouldn't confuse this talking with what it means to be a Christian. I'm aware of all sorts of things in my life that make little to no difference in how I live. Several years ago, I went downhill skiing for the first time since I was a teenager with one of my brother-in-laws. Now, I was aware of the existence of mountains. I was aware that it sometimes snowed on those mountains and I was aware that people would then go to those places and strap boards on their feet and go down those mountains. My awareness of skiing was really high. When I pulled up to the mountain with my brother-in-law to have the experience of skiing for myself, I felt completely overwhelmed. I remember looking up at the slopes and thinking we're gonna go down that with these? I still get this feeling often when I go skiing. I'll be standing at the top of some slope and I'll think what am I doing? What am I doing up here? Why am I doing this? The existence of skiing is not surprising. The experience of skiing is surprising. Christianity is an experience of the risen Jesus Christ. These disciples gotta have that experience face to face. They touched and saw the wounds from the nails of the cross were obvious to them. Our experience of Jesus comes through the Holy Spirit, sent by Jesus. The Holy Spirit testifies the truth of Jesus in human hearts. Through the Spirit, we experience the truth of the resurrected Christ. He becomes real to us. Any who experience Jesus firsthand will be forced to see the world differently in light of the resurrection. The resurrected Jesus is surprising. He doesn't fit in our pre-existing categories. You see this with the disciples. They think they have seen a ghost. That's why they're so weirded out. Jesus has to allay their fears. He says, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. The people that see Jesus have a category for spiritual things and a category for physical things. Everything fits in one category or the other. You can be a physical being walking around, or you can be a spiritual being. The risen Jesus doesn't fit in either category because he exists in both. Jesus, the one who has been resurrected from the dead, shatters human categories. He opens up a world of potential. Initially, the people in this narrative, are filled with doubt. But as they interact with Jesus, their doubt shifts to disbelief. It is not the disbelief that goes along with a lack of faith, though. They disbelieved for joy. They disbelieved for joy. How amazing is that? What explodes their categories, the intellectual way they understand the world, is that their thinking cannot contain the joy they feel from coming into contact with Jesus. They cannot process it. What they're witnessing seems to be too good to be true, but it is true. So they need a new grasp on truth. Christians today don't generally Have this problem. Jesus fits easily into our categories. There are reasons this is not surprising. Jesus' resurrection is not news to us, it happened a long time ago. For those of us raised in the church, it is a fact that we have known from childhood. It is not a surprising new development for us in the same way. It was for those gathered together in these verses. The larger issue, though, is that the Jesus many people worship is not the resurrected Jesus. It is a derivative form of Jesus that fits well into the intellectual framework through which they live life. There is the moral Jesus the culture warrior Jesus, the Jesus that comforts us emotionally, the Jesus that provides health and wealth. If you are totally comfortable with Jesus, if you can't remember the last time you had to change the way you think because you were surprised by Jesus, that is an indication that what you are interacting with is not the real risen Lord, but some derivative form. Our relationship with Jesus cannot be unchanging because he is not dead, but alive. Luke points out again, as he has throughout this gospel, how the people marvel at this. Many Christians today lack the joy present In those who saw Jesus. I think this lack of joy is connected to a lack of being surprised. The derivative Jesus that fits into our categories doesn't inspire disbelieving joy. He inspires lukewarm belief that makes no impact on us. The risen Jesus will not fit into our categories. He is the starting point from which all the categories we develop must spring forth. Jesus' resurrection inaugurates a new creation. The old creation that was ruled by sin and death has been struck a fatal blow. The spiritual and physical categories through which this world has been understood are passing away. Thinking about the world apart from Jesus, that is an antiquated way of thinking. He is the starting point for how we should understand the world. This leaves us with a lot to consider. Everything is different because Jesus changed everything. Christians are people of faith, that are seeking to understand. It is easy to say, Jesus changes everything. It is harder to know exactly what that means in practice. We still live in a world where the new creation Jesus initiated is in conflict with the old creation that is being replaced. We must all answer, The question of how then should we live as Christians in a fallen world that is being redeemed? To live in alignment with the new creation, we must always begin with Jesus. He is the starting point for the new creation. Jesus' resurrection changes the way we see our world. He changes the way we see ourselves. In this text, the disciples are looking at what the future holds for them as they look at Jesus. He was dead, and now he is living and walking among them. Jesus said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. This has nothing to do with the sermon, but I would be really disappointed if I were Jesus, and I came back and was like, do you have anything to eat? And they were like, we've got some broiled fish. I'd be like, I'm good, thanks. But these verses are incredibly important. It is further confirmation Jesus is not a disembodied spirit or a physical body bearing the weight of death, but the full realization of what man was always supposed to be, the full image of God. Jesus standing there eating broiled fish is the proof that the barrier between the physical world and the spiritual world no longer exists. God is truly with man. The barrier between God and man, the spiritual and the physical, has become permeable. The disciples are marveling not just at what Jesus is, but at what they will be. Throughout their time with Jesus, they had always been very concerned about what the future held for them. Now they see it. They see their own future in Jesus. In Romans 6, Paul explores at length what Jesus' resurrection means. He writes, We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. And the life he lives, he lives to God. All who experience Jesus in faith will be like him this was true for the disciples the same is true for us to a significant extent we have already been made alive in christ we no longer live under the curse of sin and death in the verses just prior to the ones i just read from romans paul explains our current state We believe that we will also live with him. Through Christ, we are a new creation. This world has lost its hold on us. It only has the power we allow it to have in our lives. We have gone from being pawns on the chessboard of life to being queens. We are a royal priesthood. Unfortunately, many Christians live as if Jesus' resurrection has changed nothing for us. We say all the right things. We say we believe. Intellectually, we can explain ourselves. We live as if we don't. What we truly believe is shown more in how we live than in what we say. If we fail to live out the resurrection in our own lives, we miss out on the chance to be fully alive in the present. The Anglican Bishop N.T. Wright described how Christians often live when he wrote, left to ourselves, we lapse into a kind of collusion with entropy, acquiescing in the general belief that things may be getting worse, but that there's nothing much we can do about them. And we are wrong. Our task in the present is to live as resurrection people, between Easter and the final day, with our Christian life, corporate and individual, in both worship and mission, as a sign of the first and a foretaste of the second. We have the opportunity to live a resurrected life as we look forward to our final resurrection. Christianity is more than intellectual agreement. Experiencing the risen Jesus firsthand changes our relationship to the present world. The fact of Jesus' resurrection forces the abandonment of the intellectual categories we have naturally developed. These categories cannot make sense of who Jesus is or of the new creation he has initiated. Jesus is the starting point for a new approach to the world. For anything to make sense, we must start by acknowledging that the division that used to exist between the physical and the spiritual has been breached. Emmanuel, God with us is risen. Jesus is the first fruits of a new creation. Experiencing the resurrection of Jesus changes the way we see the world. Even more, it changes the way we should see ourselves. Through Jesus, we can be like Jesus. The disbelieving joy people often feel when they initially come face to face with the risen Jesus should shift into a mature joy. This joy doesn't deny the challenges we face in the world. It just recognizes that these transient challenges are passing away in the face of the new creation we are living in. Jesus is risen. Through him, so can we. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray for everyone in this room, for everyone in the world, really. I pray that we would experience the new life, the wonder and and the disbelief that comes with interacting with you, our risen Lord. I pray that that would change the way we see our world. That it would change the way we see ourselves and that we would live out your resurrection. That we would fully participate in your new creation, Lord. And that through that, that we would experience the joy that comes along with that new creation, Lord. I thank you and I praise you, Lord. And I ask that you would be with us as we move through this week leading up to Easter. In Jesus' name I pray.